Welcome back to Philosophize Sales, the show where we apply philosophical theories and questions to help us thrive more business. My name is George Hogan, and let's get to it. So as we have for the past couple of episodes, I'm getting more and more emails, so we're going to address another one that I think is really important for salespeople to hear and understand. This one is about trust, it's about relationships, and it's about self-defeatism. So here is the paraphrased question. If selling is all about knowing people and people trusting you, then what's the point of prospecting then? I always hear that when you're prospecting and doing outreach, people are either not in the buying mode, or if they are, they are already 70% through their buying journey already, and their list of vendors to buy from consists of vendors that they already know and trust. And you're not on this list since you just reached out to them for the first time. They've never heard of you. They don't know you. They don't trust you. What's the point of prospecting then? Can prospecting be relied on as a source of predictable revenue? So my first take on this is I'm not sure that this person should be in sales. And the reason is they've listed out a laundry, a laundry list of items that they don't like about their job that are actually the cornerstone of sales. It's gaining trust. It's understanding the buying process. It's getting into procurement. It's creating value. And most importantly, it's not about giving up and blaming prospecting or some external force. Look, we're all going to lose deals. We're all going to have deals that we thought were going to close, that we're going to take a year and a half to sell only to lose it at the last minute. That's sales. That's what happens. But if I take this question and I try to really understand what it is, I I think I can distill it down a bit and then read back what the concern is for this questioner. In essence, the belief here is that since you're not a known vendor, prospecting isn't a viable option for selling and generating revenue. This also touches on a few other areas that we need to address, as I mentioned, like differentiation, value selling, social proofing, getting into the procurement queue, and then self-defeatism. So First of all, let me make it very clear. There are absolutely industries and markets that have been so heavily sold to, so overserved and plucked apart that there is a well-known and defined list of major players and vendors that cracking it almost seems impossible. Imagine that you're at a uh, trade show for a quick service restaurant and you're there and guess what? You are selling a new soft drink. And you go there and you see one of the big sponsors, a $75,000 sponsor for this show is Pepsi or Coke, Dr. Pepper, whatever it is. You're thinking that and you're like, well, what's the point of even calling into these guys? Because I know that they have this contract on a corporate level between Pepsi and this QSR. In that case, it makes perfect sense. You're probably selling into a market that you shouldn't be selling into because – Cracking the soft drink industry is extremely hard. What should you do? Well, at that place, you go to distributors. You don't go directly at your competitor. You don't go to the end. You go to someone like a Walmart or a Target or even a smaller local chain. You try to get on the shelf, and then you get on the shelf, and you get on the shelf, and you get on the shelf. But then even then, it's hard because then you got to fight for shelf space, and you got to fight for positioning. There's a lot going on there. So again, let me be clear. There are definitely industries that are harder to sell into than others. Now, 
back to this question. To address this, we have a lot of avenues to explore, but what I'm hearing more than anything is that gaining trust and cooperation of the prospect seems like it's such an uphill battle that selling them isn't even worth the effort. Misguided, certainly, absolutely. But we can discuss. And rather than diving into Aristotle or Socrates, who spoke at length about how people come to uh, accept uh, other people and ideas and trust, I actually want to discuss Thomas Hobbes, and then I'm going to briefly touch on game theory. So the English philosopher Thomas Hobbes was born prematurely when his mother heard the approach of the Spanish Armada. And as Hobbes later put it, my mother gave birth to twins, myself and fear. In his masterpiece, uh, Leviathan, Hobbes argues that the absence of laws, trust, and peace, which he calls the state of nature, is so abhorrent to men that through a combination of fear and reason, most commonly fear, they come together to cooperate. There's a memorable line where Hobbes characterizes the life of a man and the state of nature as solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And no, I'm not talking about the current president of the United States. For Hobbes, peace and cooperation are best achieved by a social contract establishing a commonwealth and a giant body politic with an absolute sovereign as its head. We can disagree on that. But for the sake of self-preservation, people agree to divest themselves of certain rights, restricting their liberty to that which they would tolerate in others. The sovereign's role in this paradigm that Hobbes is talking about is to enforce that contract. So maybe it's not a sovereign in our country, but maybe it's your governing body of your corporation. Maybe it's Congress, whatever it might be. And, and even in the case of a household, it could be the husband or a wife or the parents or whatever it might be. They enforce the contract, which, owing to human nature, is under constant threat. So like the human body, the body politic is prone to disease and deformity. The general inclination of mankind, says Hobbes, is there a perpetual and restless desire for power after power that seizes only in death. So what does this mean for sales? Well, Hobbes is arguing that fear drives people to get in line and cooperate. A prospect isn't going to buy because of fear of punishment, but rather they will listen only if what is being introduced makes them consider that there is, in fact, a better option out there. And that will make them the fear that they're it will make them fear that they're going to be missing out on something better. Once we're able to establish our standout value, that fear can be squashed and cooperation in this case or being sold to will naturally follow. By simply recognizing that replacing what they already have or adding someone to a proved vendor list is actually a really large task and that unknown task causes discomfort and fear we have to start to peel back the layers. Remember, I think this is really important. The prospects that you're selling to, they have jobs. They have jobs where they're using software as a part of their life, and they want to continue doing their jobs. They also have families. They also have their own lives. They also have their own problems at work. And when someone comes knocking on the door asking them to not only change what they're doing, but then to stick their neck out, and try to get a new solution added into their own ecosystem, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. We're asking a lot of people to do these things, 
But that's what we have to do. That's the only way we're going to make it in sales. We have a better product. We have something that's going to change the industry. We have something that's going to make their life better. We need to stay to it. We just have to understand that there's a certain level of fear that's going to be always right under the surface whenever we're talking to people. Now on to game theory. Game theory helps explain why two rational people might not cooperate even when cooperation is in their best mutual interest. Again, you can see this with American politics um, uh, the most. Rather than giving a little bit and compromising, they both rather walk in the opposite direction. It's it, With game peer, I think the archetypical prisoner's dilemma is what people like to think of. So imagine there are two gang members that are arrested and they enter into solitary confinement. The prosecutors offer the prisoners a bargain. Each prisoner can either testify against the other or cooperate by remaining silent. If both remain silent, they serve just one year in prison. If both testify against the other, they serve two years in prison. I think there is a popular uh, TV show. I don't really remember what it's called, but essentially if you trust the other person and you both push the right button, you both win. But if you don't trust the other person and you choose other buttons, then you're, you're, you're both going to lose. So what it means is it takes transparency in order to have a positive outcome. And the same goes for selling into a crowded market. Luckily for us, people are not cold calculated machines that sometimes break down and, and give in, but we're actually cooperative animals equipped with social feelings such as love and compassion and shame and guilt. We can get in there. We just have to hit the right chords when we're doing this. So my sales advice is as follows. Number one is start working on social proofing. If you're having a hard time getting people to listen to you, you need client testimonials, white papers, case studies, and a list of other live references. These will allow you to show that your solution not only has greater value, but that other people trust you as well. This goes a long way. Two, if you want to get on the procurement list of approved vendors and you know that that's a requirement, simply ask how you do it. Look at the website and follow through. It's a long play, but if that's the only path forward, better get hopping. Three, all of that said, honestly, I think the questioner doesn't fully understand how much effort it takes to get a sale. We're not selling... Uh, Amazon world service right here, right? We're not selling something that everybody knows and we'll just automatically do. This isn't Salesforce, right? Nothing is easy in sales. And you have to keep trying, keep collecting data on calls. And eventually, you'll know if what you're selling will ever have the return that you're hoping for. In the end, trust is established when a prospect uh, at least decides to take some responsibility for something that they value, or in this case, something that you value, your product, thereby making them vulnerable and agreeing to take that responsibility, or in circumstances can reasonably be expected to do so. For example, I trust my doctor with my health because by virtue of being a doctor and my doctor, they have to take some responsibility for my health. And of course, I have asked or allowed them to do so. So don't give up. Keep plugging away. But remember, there are other sales jobs out there. If the market isn't there, you move on. If, however, you think that prospecting is a waste of time and that level of self-defeatism to me tells me that sales probably isn't for you and you might need to move on. That's all for today, folks. If you have any comments or questions, email me at philosophizesales at gmail.com. This is George Hogan, and you just philosophize your sales. See you next time. Baby, now I got the flow Cause I know it from the start